Man, I feel like after, after Easter, I feel like I just have, we have such a simple worship experience for you today. I, I, I hate to say it's just not going to be a complicated sermon. I'm not a complicated guy. But there's just something, it was so simple, the service today. I thought, well, you know, five minutes before the first service, I was thinking maybe we should just change the last song up and throw Gyra in there just to mess everybody's brain up on stage. If you were here on First Wednesday, we sang an incredible song. But I just realized, you know, let's keep it simple this morning. I think what God wants to do in your life is very simple. I don't think you're as complicated as you think. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, you look good today. Thanks, Sean. You look good today, Sean. You've been working out? Sometimes people ask me, why do, you have, why do you have four kids? I'm like, my wife, look at me. I mean, my wife can't keep her hands off of me. I just wanted a back row, sweetheart. No, I just, hey, listen, <laughs> come on, Venue Church. Hey, this is a church for real people in the midst of a real world right now. Kim, you got to stop laughing because it's pointing more. I shouldn't have said that thing, but I did. <laughs> I said to my, two of my girls this morning, I said, I said uh, who was it? I can't remember. It was Katie and Ailish, I think. I said, you guys look really good. To, you guys look good today. And then they didn't say anything, and I just stood there awkwardly, because that's my anointing. I just stood there awkwardly, and I'm like. And they're like, "Uh, you look good? I'm like, yes. When a man says that you look good, we are self, but the trouble is I couldn't think of the word conscious. (laughs) We are self, we're self, and Ailish finally says conscious. I'm like, that's what we are. Return the compliment. Oh, my goodness. No, they look cute today, don't you think? Hey, guys, what's up? Being a pastor's kid, man, it's like life in a fishbowl. <laughs> the topic of every sermon. Hey, we're in a series called Graves in the Gardens. There's not a grave in your life that God can't turn into a garden. And so I'm going to be talking today about the restoration process of heaven and how God can get back to you. My sermon today is called The Year of the Locusts. We're going to study in, in, in Egypt the, the plague of locusts that came and stripped the land bare, which I think we're seeing in our nation right now. The whole idea about this sermon series is how do we deal with the, the highs and lows of life? I know you and I, we just want every th- day to be an Instagram day. But man, what about the behind the scenes when you lost your mind on your kids? Nobody posts that on Instagram. There's this highs and lows of life. What do we do with them? How do we think about them? How does God think about them? The distance between maybe the seed going in the ground, we spoke last week, and dying and having to do this death cycle... Of, of the seed going into the ground and that distance between that and the dream and its fulfillment in your life. Now, God has a way to bring his dream to pass in your life. We're going to talk today about restoration. But we're going to talk first about um, a sense of, of loss. Have you ever lost something and not really even noticed that you lost it? I would, I would tell the guys, I, I, uh, my trade was, an elect- was in the electrical field, and I would always tell the guys, never put anything on the back of a truck. And leave it there, you know. So we had a, a big bucket van, and, and it had a back, kind of like a big tailgate. I'm like, never leave something there. And one day I had one of the guys, they were driving around town. And then they, uh, uh, they noticed that another trades truck followed them all the way back to site. And the guys get out of the truck. And I'm like, hey, you guys, uh, you guys missing anything? They're like, nope. I'm like, you remember all those spools of wire and cable and on the back of the truck that you drove out of here with? Like, that guy just brought them all back to us. Anybody ever miss something and not even, like, you guys missing anything? What? What do you just do? 
My mom just spilled water on herself. Maybe she's feeling left out. Did you want to? Did you have something to say? Did you want to use the microphone? <laughs> my mom laughs at all my jokes. Thank you, mom. One time, mom, have you ever have you ever lost something and not even really missed it? You know, one time, my mom, she she was a school teacher, so she had all her university books, and as she was teaching school, she realized, hey, there's something from my university books that I could. Uh, use in my class today. This was some time into her career. And then she went down to, to, my, uh, to the basement or wherever my dad had stored her university books. She goes down there and she's like, Richard, where are my university books? This is probably before I came along, I think. And where are my university books? And, and dad, okay, does anybody know my dad like a little bit? Okay, my dad is like, if you're not using it, it's not going to be here. So one time I left something on the floor in the basement till 2 o'clock in the afternoon in the basement family room, and it was gone. It was in the garbage. He's like, well, you weren't using it. And um, it's not, there's not a cruel bone in my dad's body. It's just how his brain works. He's like, we had one storage room in our house growing up, and dad built a big house, but he had one storage room, and it was four feet tall underneath the stairs, and the only thing I can ever remember being in there being stored was my skis. And that's it. Dad didn't store stuff. If you're not using it, give it to somebody who can use it. And so uh, mom's like, where are those books, Richard? He goes, well, you weren't using them, so I threw them out. <laughs> you didn't seem to notice for quite a while. <laughs> She's like, you know how much I paid for all of those books? And he's like, nope. You weren't using them. Out they go. You know, there are those things that we lose that we don't even know that we lose sometimes. Um. My daughter Arwen, I forgave her an entire month of rent. I know you, some of you think it's cruel to charge an 18-year-old rent, but I'm just like, hey, she's learning how to be a productive member of society right now. And she's not in school, and so she's got a job. And I'm like, so I forgave her an entire month of rent because she's like, I think I'm going to clean out the whole furnace room. And I'm like, you want to tackle that giant? You head on down there. That's where I work out down there. But when we moved here four years ago, some of that stuff has still been in boxes. Anybody else? Come on, don't act like... Don't single me out here. Some of that stuff's still been in boxes. And so my, my daughter cleaned the whole room out, got it all organized and clean. And I asked Pastor Aaron if I could share this story because we didn't know if she knew this part. But Arwen, she brings me downstairs because I knew that uh, there was going to be a, a tricky decision to make. And she brought me downstairs and she's like, Dad, I've got a bit of a dilemma here because to, you have to understand, I'm my father's son. So I have no emotional attachment to anything. I will sell you the car I'm driving, Frank, if you want it. If the price is right, man, I'll sell you anything. You want these shoes? I'll give you these shoes right now. They're, they're like rapper shoes. I think you would look good in them. There's skulls and some bling on there and stuff. Man, if the price is right, you can have anything I've got right now. I don't mind. But my wife has this thing called emotional attachment to stuff. Come on, ladies. It's okay. It's not going to get worse. She, she's like, yeah, but we, we, can't, we can't give that. Now, my wife, she has worked hard at this. She's 100 times better than she used to be. But she used to be like, well, we can't give that away because somebody gave that to us for our wedding. And, I'm, and what if they come over to the house? I'm like, we haven't seen them in 20 years. They're probably not coming over. You know, like, I don't, I don't think we need to worry about that. I don't even think they remember. Do you remember what you, you know? And so, so my daughter brings me downstairs, and she's like, Dad, I've got this dilemma. I've got these, these five boxes or whatever it was over here that Mom doesn't even know that we have. And then, but she's like, but I would love to just, you know, take them to the thrift store. But then he, she says, but I have these two other big boxes that she needs to go through. What would you think about? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes. 
So she took a carload of stuff to the thrift store that mom didn't even notice was gone. She says that she does, but I don't know that she does. But then she gave her the boxes that were like, hey, you need to go through this stuff because it's your stuff and maybe you need some of this stuff. But if you haven't used it in four and a half years, everybody, how many people know that you're probably not going to miss it? Now, the difference between that and missing something that you definitely miss would be as if, has anybody ever heard Pastor Aaron talk about her car that she has? She has a Buick Verano that we bought from the Edwards that she definitely drives faster than Karen drives. It's a little two-liter turbo, and she can spin the tires on this car. And she doesn't know that a Buick Verano, like a Buick anything, is not a Fast and Furious car. But in her mind, it's Fast and Furious. If she ever came home one day and I sold that car, because I could sell anything and I don't care. If I ever sold that car, out from under her. Her sense of loss, every morning that we wake up, she would look over at me. And she would be like, you're the man who killed my dream and you sold my Fast and Furious car. You're that guy. You and I, I think what happens is you and I, we live, I think we wake up every morning. I think most of it's kind of subconscious. I don't think we really understand it all that much. But we wake up every morning with a sense of loss. Because we're born into a sinful world and sin is a taker. God is a giver. The devil is a taker. So God gives the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve turned around and gave it to the devil and the devil is a taker. So as soon as, as, soon as sin enters the world, it's darkness. What accord has darkness with light? And so God eventually sends Jesus, the light of the world, to come and redeem that and bring giving back in and generosity back in and, and save us from sins that we don't deserve. But, but sin, ever since then, it says that you were born and sin passed to you from your, your father. And so you were born with a sense that something essential was missing. It's called a sin nature. A people of a sin nature um, cannot connect with the holy God. Do you know what I mean? You're in the wrong family. We traded fathers back then. We're like, hey, thanks God for all your stuff, but we're going to try to do it without you. And then the devil's like, I'll be your dad. And so we are born into a condition. Now, you might think that that's unfair because your sense of justice is a Canadian sense of justice. But how many people know that, that if you drink or do drugs and you're pregnant, it will affect the child? It's the way that it works. So you can complain about that and say it's not fair to the child. Okay. But sin is a taker. Like, it's, the world is broken. And the only place where it's getting fixed is where God is and where Jesus is and where believers are. And he works through mankind. That's one of the reasons why sometimes we get a little bit funny in our thinking because we're like, well, if God knows all the things that are broken, why doesn't he fix them? Because he gave the earth to men. He gave the earth to women. And we turned around. And when we give it back to God, he fixes those places. But he will abide by gravity, the sun going up. We don't complain about those things. It's just the way that it works. But the way that it works leaves us in a huge massive deficit inside of us that when we wake up every morning, we feel like something is missing. Now, when you come to Christ, that sin nature goes away and you have the nature of God within you. However, there's still what we call the year of the locust, which is the title of the sermon. There's still this place where sin has taken something from you. You know that somebody has hurt you and you can't seem to get over it. It's still there. There's, there's the years that they took. There's the betrayal, the lies. There's something that somebody has taken from you. Then there's this other thing that we wake up in a cold sweat sometimes because we know we've done the same thing to other people. Sin is a taker. And I have to live with the guilt that I have taken something from you that it's gone. Now, 
for me to be a good citizen, if I take something from you, I should try to pay that back. But how many people know that that's not the same thing as if I never took it in the first place? There is a massive sense of something missing. Then we get into relationships or we go to church or we, we look for to people to try to fix that gap, to try to fill it with something, to try to put some spray foam in there and <laughs> heat us up and warm us up and fill those gaps. But people can't do this for you. Today I'm going to talk about how God restores because are you, are you ready for this? God not only forgives, he restores what was taken and what we've taken. God not only forgives, he restores what was taken and what we've taken. This is the God that we serve. Forgiveness is good when you teach your children to forgive or you forgive. Um, forgiveness is, is not saying like when Kaplet hurts me, which is like every day. When I forgive him, what I'm not saying is that what he's doing is okay. That's not what forgiveness is. No, absolutely not. It's not okay. That's why I have something to forgive. It's sin. He took something. Or I took something from him. So when I forgive him, what I'm saying, though, and and this is why I think all true forgiveness comes from heaven, because you can't really do this on your own. I'm saying, I'm not going to charge you for what you took. And there has to come something inside of you that you're like, "I, I have to settle that. I don't get that back. He might try to do something nice to me, but I still don't get back what the the initial thing, right? It's not the original product anymore. Something is flawed and something is taken and something has been stressed and broken and cracked. And and so when you live with somebody, forgiveness is a huge deal. But forgiveness, and the reason we're afraid to forgive, is because every time I forgive, I'm basically saying, I'm not going to get that back from her. I forgive you that debt. I don't get that back, which means I'm going to have to live without it. And then we deal with like, and I've, and I've hurt you, and I've taken something from you that you're not going to get back from me because I, I can't, you have to settle the fact that you can't go back and undo what has been done. You have to settle that, but that is a scary thing to do. Forgiveness is scary unless you understand the restorative process of God. See, a plague of locusts we're going to study in Exodus came in and stripped the entire land of Egypt bare. And that's what it'll do. The crops that... See, it's the distance between the seed time, and we talked about this last week, and the dream coming to pass in your life. There is a dormancy period of death where the field does not look like it's producing anything. And, and, and what the, the locusts come in is come and strip what we already have sometimes. And you and I are left with this huge sense of deficit and loss. Before what's essential is restored, God has an essential shift in the period in the middle. That graves into gardens, the period in the middle. God has something that he needs to shift in you so you don't lose the restoration that he brings. See, you and I become slaves to whatever temporarily promises us, uh, us reprieve from the sense of loss. So let me explain. To some of us, it's like eating things. When I eat things, I don't, I don't, I, I get a subconscious, I get a let go of the sense that I'm losing something. Some of us, we buy things. We have too many things that we buy because we surround ourselves or our fridges are full or we surround ourselves with things that make us forget that we're empty, that, that something is missing. We go out and we shop because it gives us that high. Just for a day, you can forget, you know, um, addictions and watching TV and, and there's these things that we do that, that, that make us forget but you and I what happens is we become slaves to the things that temporarily help us forget we become slaves see the children of Israel went down to Egypt 
which was part of God's plan initially when Joseph was there. They went down to Egypt so that God could feed them. But after a while, they've been down there now for 400 plus years. After a while, they just stayed there because that's what they knew and it was comfortable. And you and I get trapped in a sense of comfort, in a sense of, well, at least it's a devil we know. At least it's, well, at least it's, you and I get trapped in Egypt until the 10 plagues come. And we're going to talk about the plague of locusts today. Then the Lord said to Moses, return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. Well, Pharaoh's a scary guy to demand stuff from. Like, he's got people with whips. You are building monuments in Pharaoh's name. Pharaoh, in fact, guys, Pharaoh thinks that he's the sun god Ra reincarnated. Try to argue with that. Like, if your husband thinks that he's the sun god Ra reincarnated, and you're like, that's not the way to change the oil, and he's like... I created oil. You know what I mean? You might think you're the sun god raw moms, but your kids know you ain't. Your kids don't have your Instagram feed. We're like, everything's great. That was the moment before she lost her Holy Spirit. The incarnation, this is who they're dealing with. They give him an ultimatum. Return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him, Lord, the Lord says, and his official stubborn, so I can display my miraculous signs among them. You, you know, he made the, the, the Egyptians, Canadians, stubborn, so that I can display my miraculous signs among them. I've also done it so you can tell your children and grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs I displayed among them. Sometimes the trouble you're in right now is just so that you have a great story to tell your kids. So that they don't grow up and think that mom and dad did nothing for the cause of Christ and never fought a battle and never climbed a mountain. You ever think about that? So that I can actually pass on to my children, hey, we were in great despair, but the Lord. But the Lord saved us. But the Lord took Goliath out. But the Lord did this thing and saved us. Sometimes your story is to be passed on. Then it says this, and so you will know that I am the Lord. You know, the problem is not that the Egyptians don't know God. The problem is that you don't. Your problem is not the Egyptians. Your problem is that you don't know the Lord your God. And watch, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. And he's like, who cares about the God of the Hebrews? I'm greater. You're slaves. Why would I care what your God thinks? Your God doesn't work. Your God is a loser. How long will you refuse to submit to me? Listen, sometimes the people around you in your neighborhoods are so arrogant until the plague of locusts come and strips the land bare. They're so arrogant. They look at church people sometimes. I mean, we've got neighbors like that too. Like they look at church people like, you're so self-righteous church people. And I'm like, hey, we're just trying to help. You know, like anything we can do to help you, just let us know. Yeah, they're arrogant until the, the land is stripped bare from the locusts. How long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so they can worship me. Worship me. So to worship the Lord our God, not the Pharaoh, not the government, not the... You know, worship the Lord our God. There's only one worthy of worship. Everything else gets evaluated. Everything else gets double-checked. But the word of the Lord our God will stand forever. Stop wasting time and just do it and worship. If you refuse, watch out for tomorrow. I will bring a swarm of locusts on your country. The swarm of locusts. You know, the swarm of locusts used to, a drought would be uh, followed by a great plenty, which we've seen in Canada for decades. So our parents came in famine, and then there was great plenty. And then the locusts would start to swarm together. All the serotonin is released. It's a whole thing. You've got to study it. 
All this serotonin is released in them, and then they start crowding around, and then they start going a little bit crazy and strip the land bare. Now, tomorrow I will bring a, a swarm of locusts on you. They will cover the land so you won't be able to see the ground. They will devour what little is left of your crops after the hailstorm, including all the trees growing in the fields. They'll overrun your palaces and the homes of your officials and all the houses in Egypt. Never in the history of Egypt have your ancestors seen a plague like this. And with that, Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Can you imagine being Moses and Aaron right now? Like, please, Pharaoh, destroy us. Yeah. <laughs> the boldness of these men yeah. to walk in there. Yeah. Like, Pharaohs, if they don't like you, they do weird stuff to you. Have you watched The Mummy? <laughs> I assume it's kind of historically... No. <laughs> these would not people who are like, we're going to fine you $500 and send you home. And take it out of you, man. Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him. How long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the man go to worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize Egypt lies in ruins? Then the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the land of Egypt to bring on the locusts. Let them cover the land and devour every plant that survived the hailstorm. So he raised his staff over Egypt. The Lord caused an east wind to blow over the land. Don't read too much into that, Alberta. All that day and through the night, when the morning arrived, the east wind had brought the locusts. And the locusts swarmed over the whole land of Egypt, settling in dense swarms from one end of the country to the other. It was the worst locust plague in Egyptian history. There's never been another one like it. Listen, as much as you and I hate Egypt, which is our past and our past way of life and our past way of feeling and thinking and doing things. Life before God, life outside of God, as much as you and I hate Egypt, as much as we hated the fact that we were slaves, this is what you and I do. You ready? We still remember some of the good moments that we had, and we're still comfortable with it. We forget that the devil had us by the throat. And we come to Christ, and we're like, but there's all these rules. Yeah, there are rules so that you can keep the blessing flowing. There are rules for your benefit according to your design. There are rules that bring, and we're like, but I don't feel free anymore. And God's like, maybe you forgot the lash in Egypt. You were free in Egypt. Really. You never had a moment's peace. You never knew what you were here for. You knew it deep down inside. You could feel that gap inside. As much as we hate Egypt, our tendency is to go back to what we know. You might have come from a manipulative family that you hated, but you still go back there sometimes. You come back from those sins and you still go back there because it's what you know. Egypt represents like they went from Canaan to Egypt initially and God fed them for a while, but then they just got comfortable with what they knew. Egypt was not where God called them. And they just ended up staying. Now, here's the, the trouble. You and I in our nation right now, we secretly want God to restore Egypt. I'm going to give you the kicker in the end and show you what I think Egypt actually represents in your life and in my life and the life of our nation. We want God to restore Egypt. God is not responsible to restore Egypt if he's called you to Canaan. The restoration in your life is not going back to where you were. God had no intention of restoring Egypt. He stripped the land bare and it stayed there and it took generations to bring that land back to where it was. He performed no miracles of restoration back there. He never intended to restore your past life at all. He intended you to go into the promised land where he called you. That's where the restoration happens. But you and I, we still go back to the place that we were. See, between 
when we leave Egypt, between Egypt and the promised land where God called you, between there is this place called the wilderness. And the children of Israel wander on an 11-day journey. They wander for 40 years. Because God was, see, in the, in the time between the seed going into the ground and its fulfillment in your life, God has to do a restorative work of something else in your life first. It's an essential work so that the work that happens inside of you maintains the miracle he wants to do at the end. But if you don't go through the wilderness and learn the lessons that the children of Israel, the entire generation, had said, died in the wilderness. Until their sons rose up. They were so sick and tired because here's the shift that needs to happen in your life and in my life. Ready? You can be in church. You can be a son or daughter of God. And you can still have a slave mentality. That wilderness was to take a band of slaves and transform them into a band of soldiers. And you don't get soldiery outside of a wilderness. You don't get soldiery outside of boot camp. You don't get to sit back and sit in an armchair and watch whatever you used to watch anymore. You don't get to eat whatever you used to eat anymore. Man, when you're in the wilderness, this is what happens. A million times, poor Moses. Can you imagine Moses delivers them and takes the lash off of their back and delivers them? And 50 50 million times, they're like, can we just go back to Egypt? Why? Because we remember the fruits and vegetables. What kind of sick people go anywhere for fruits and vegetables? (laughs) If you're going to do it, do it for hamburgers. Do it for french fries. Do it for a steak. I'm just kidding. I love you. I'm not going to make eye contact with Kaput right here. (laughs) What do you... Listen. Egypt is supposed to change your appetite because your appetite is still back in Egypt. You still remember what you used to eat back there. That's what you think freedom is? That's what you think tasted good? It said... It said that the manna used to fall on the ground. Read this if you're new to church. The manna used to fall on the ground every morning. They would collect it and make this bread that tasted like honey was mixed in it. And they're like, after a while, they got like, we're so sick and tired of this manna. The word of God says that Jesus, when he came, was the manna, was the bread from heaven. You get tired of reading your Bible sometimes until your appetite changes. And you realize, wait a minute, this verse tastes way different than it did yesterday. And this thing, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And your appetites start shifting and changing and moving. Why? Because you're in the wilderness. Because you're not here to be a slave. Because all slaves do is complain until somebody beats them. Like the devil used to do. And then you'll dig a ditch. And then you'll do what you have to do. Soldiers don't do that. Soldiers are like, hey, here are my thoughts up the ladder. Give me some orders so I got something to do. You need a ditch dug? No problem. I'm not doing anything anyways. This is why I lived as soldier. Soldiers have a laugh when they get scars because that's what they're there for. It's a shift from a slave mentality. You know, I I hear a slave mentality often today. It's a little bit different because I wasn't trained to be a slave when I was a kid. I hear kids come home from school now and like, I didn't appreciate the way that my teacher. Can you imagine Richard Cope being like, tell me all about it, you big baby. I don't recall. I got to appreciate everything that my teacher did. I ain't going to come home and talk like that. Well, some of us, you know, this is what slaves are like. The slave mentality, well, yeah, they corrected me, but they could have been nicer about it. They push you out of the way of the train, and you didn't like that? The word of God says, oh, a wise man loves correction. They don't like getting run over by trains. But somebody got to tackle you. It's going to hurt a little. Anybody ever hear a word of correction that they enjoyed? They're like, oh, that felt great. Thank you so much. I am an idiot. (laughs) Right? Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Somebody finally said something. 
It's a slave mentality. Warriors don't mind. Do you know why? Because correction saves soldiers from getting shot in the face. Like, thank you. Oh, my goodness. I don't like getting shot. It's a shift. See, listen. God can take you out of Egypt. God can take people out of Egypt, but sometimes he, sometimes he can't take Egypt out of people. That's what you got to do. That entire generation never gave him permission to take Egypt out of them. This is why we have to get used to a new normal because comfort, this is why we say right up front in Venue Church, hey, comfort, discomfort is a new comfort. Because you get trapped in the land of comfort. You get trapped where you're comfortable. We're not even looking. We, we say it like this. The only constant around here is change. Why? It's growth. Why? Because you can have comfort or you can have growth, but you can't have both. Why? It's a new, that's why, because that's how soldiers think. Hey, man, I'm, lo- I'm learning new techniques, man. I'm learning how to get to my neighbors. I'm learning how to be more patient. I'm learning how to forgive more. I'm learning. God's teaching me so I can be a better soldier in his army. Pain? Great. That's why I'm here. I can do push-ups. I can do more push-ups than anybody. Like, not like, not like me. The person me. It's a training ground. Listen, slaves will neither take Canaan or keep it. Why? Because there's a giant sitting on your land. The initial... They sent 12 spies out and 10 of them came back and said, we can't go there. There's giants sitting on that land. And God's like, I know. I wanted you to go and get addicted to the fruit. Who cares if the giants are on that land? Are they bigger than I am? What are you worried about with your career? What are you worried about with your relationship? God is bigger than all of that. But the way he restores it is not the way that, because you want Egypt restored. But God doesn't. God has no intention of restoring Egypt. He devastated it for a reason. To get you to move. To get you to move, Canada. To get us to move. Sometimes famine is a blessing because it gets us to move from the land that we're in. In our hearts and in our minds. And we want to go back there. God's like, I'm not restoring that place because I'm trying to get you to move from it into your promised land. Into this new place for you. The Lord says in Joel chapter 2, the prophet, he says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. Why does he say the word locust so many times? Because he's like, it hurt, it hurt, it hurt, it hurt. I know. I know all about it. He came down here and suffered everything that you have ever suffered times a billion because he knows the stripping locust, the cutting, the hopping locust. He's like, you've been hurt and you've been taken from. He goes, I'm going to restore every single thing that was ever taken from you. I'm going to restore it to you, just not in the way that you want it. He said, and soldiers, our feelings don't get hurt. That's what he says. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. What? He's like, first of all, I can't protect you if you're in Egypt and you're supposed to be in Canaan. I can't protect you in Egypt. But I needed something to shift you. This could be a huge blessing. God can bring a a blessing. God can restore the nation, but not restore Egypt. Not restore the nation the way that it was. He said, once again, you'll have all the food you want. And you'll praise the Lord your God. Why? Because that's what you weren't doing. Pre-locus. Who does these miracles for you? Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that... I am among my people because I, I can't stay if you're going to be in Egypt. I can't go there. That's not where I want you. I want you here. I'm in the promised land. He says, then you'll know that I'm the Lord and there is no other. You, 
can't serve hockey. You can't even serve English soccer. Where the men are men. My small group had better keep their mouth shut right now. Bunch of hockey guys. Spurgeon says this, It will strike you at once that the locusts did not eat the years. This is what we have to settle in our hearts. Did not eat the years, the locusts eat the fruits of the years labor, the harvest of the fields, so that the meaning of the restoration of the years must be the restoration of those fruits and those harvests which the locusts consumed. So this is what he says, you cannot have back your time. Listen, guys, for years I was plagued. Like, I just felt like so much was taken from me. All the years. Anybody ever, like, I feel like I'm just starting a pastor, and I'm like, I wish that I could have done this, like, 20 years ago. And I feel like, what about all the time that's gone? You just He says you cannot have back your time, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruit over the years of which you mourned. The fruit of wasted years may yet be yours. You remember Job, everything was taken from him, but God returned double to him. But he didn't return what was already taken. Job had to settle that because if his hope is in those things, it doesn't work like that because when God moves you into the promised land, it has to be a miracle and it has to belong to him. And the fruits of that land has to belong to the Lord our God once more. Canada, listen, we must be careful that we leave our place of slavery. We had everything, but we were slaves to comfort. And this is the... We were slaves to this God that we thought was God, but it's not. We made God two things. We, we either completely ignored him. You fell into two camps before this. We either completely ignored God or he was the genie in the lamp. But the real God, he does not sit. He does not stay. He is the Lord of all. He is the king of heaven. He demands complete obedience and complete worship and complete devotion. He is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. God, don't restore our nation to the place that we were at before because that's not what we want. We don't want to go back to Egypt. We had everything in Egypt. We had great food, but we had the lash of the devil on us. We were bound up in sin and shame. We were never going to find our destinies. We were never going to live in the kingdom of God. God, don't ever return us back to that place where we trivialized you, God. I pray that you would move us out into the promised land and let there be some giants there so that at least you're gonna have to, we're going to have to be close to you. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Forgive my sin and plead with the Lord your God to take away this death from me. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and pleaded with the Lord. The Lord responded by, he did something that you can't do by shifting the wind. You've been able to figure out how to shift the wind in the nation? You can't even shift your own heart. And the strong west wind, come on Alberta. Blew the locusts into the Red Sea. Not a single locust remained in all the land of of Egypt. Father, I pray for a fresh wind today over this congregation, Lord, over this city, over our province and over our nation, Lord God, over the nations of the earth. A fresh wind. All we need is that west wind, Lord God, to come and blow those locusts into the sea. But we make a commitment to the name of the Lord our God that we are not going back to Egypt. Come what may. Every life, every heart, we make this commitment. We are not going back. Some of you need to get in the prayer corner afterwards and give up some things. We are not going back to the way that things were. Lord, we are not asking you to restore us to Egypt. We are asking you to lead us to the promised land. And I pray, God, that this church would do it and that we would lead the city in this call of repentance. Lord God, we we are not going back to Egypt. We're not asking you to restore and to put everything back to the way that it was. We are asking you to take us to the promised land. In Jesus' name.